0: Video Game Bullshit! Alright, so welcome to Video Game Bullshit Live! Uh, yeah. live with two people in here with me and the special- Woo! Woo! <laughs> so, as, as, as people will be able to see on the website, when I posted on the podcast, uh, Thor Ackerman's with me, the classic winner of the original Nintendo World Championship see that sounds like we have a room full in all reality um so retro game con here was an interesting one because in the panel um they decided to have me at 3 30 p.m when i have a long drive and thor will be out flying back home and so we're like hey can we switch it to 11 and so they put it on the door as 11 but on the website and in the actual flyer it shows 3:30. So uh, yeah. so like like literally like he would like the I just happened to see you in the hallway and he's like he's like dude I'm coming to your panel at 3:30 and I'm like oh it's now like so <laughs> we're about to have a really fun like four person just conversation about 90s gaming nostalgia um, so, if you two don't know, I write books on retro gaming. Um, I did a complete NES and Super Nintendo book. That's, this is the first convention that it's available, but um, it was fully fun on Kickstarter, 800%. Like, I have people from the community submitting. I met Thor because my 1990 book, um, Nintendo World Championships happened, obviously, and as somebody who won it, I figured he would want to tell a story. Thor might be a little controversial, when you talk sometimes. So I, I, took a, I did a quote instead of a story in the book because like, I'm like, uh, yeah, everybody, I want it to be a positive thing. So, yeah. Like classic stuff though. Um, but what we're going to talk with Thor about today is not Nintendo World Championships because everybody does that. We're going to talk post-NWC. Um, he had some really cool paperwork he showed me uh, yesterday. We'll talk about that. We have to articulate it because we're doing an audio podcast that'll be fun so um say hi to everybody that's listening and talk a little bit about what you do what you did after nwc and all that shit <laughs> hey
1: guys uh, there's probably too much to fit in, a, in an hour a day or a year but
0: uh <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: more or less i uh i played games for uh, a couple three years after nwc and uh then i took a long 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 break but uh i did get to do most of the 16-bit stuff and go to a lot of team Electronic shows and See, uh, see some wild stuff as it it transferred to the uh, post sixteen bit era.
0: So, so what we have here is a Comerica press release guide. It has on the cover the Aladdin Deck Enhancer. You guys can walk up here and like we're just. Four people in the convention. They're like, come on and check it out. Um, but I have to explain it for the people listening on the podcast too. It says it's time to win again with sixteen bit and tell the story that you were you or were 16, trying. 8-bit, 8-bit. Yeah, I would know with eight bit. Yeah, so so tell the story because that actually kind of just ruined the surprise. <laughs> with, with the story. But your story was good yesterday. I want to hear like for the podcast listening audience. Like like you were chatting with Comerica.
1: Yeah, uh, you know um, this press kit's probably the only one in the world that survived. Um, They didn't make very many of them. They were kind of on the downswing. This was from January of 93 for the Vegas CES. And uh, when I first got involved with Comerica in the post-NWC area, early 91, '91, mid-91, they were making 8-bit games. And I got to see one game before um, I got signed with them, which was my dad's decision. And it was Micro Machines, which I really liked. I thought it was a great little game. And it kind of tied into my personal story because the year before the NWC, my house burned down. I lost everything, except for uh, one box of micro machines. <laughs> that, oh. was, that was my toys that I had left. And I oh, spent yeah. like six months in the hospital. And uh, about a year later, I was endorsing uh, the video game, which is a weird turn of events. Um, but when I, you know, talked to them in '91 when we first got started, I was like, "Hey guys, we're going to do a 16-bit games soon." And they're like, no, "No, not not yet. We're we're still doing 8-bit." And of course, at that time you go to the store
0: and there's like Genesis, Turbo Graphics, you know, Super NES, and uh, <laughs> and then America's over here like let's win again with 8-bit, let's go back and like <laughs> yeah. nowadays, guess what people are doing? Well, finally, they're, going they're, back we're back, finally nowadays. going back in yeah. time to support like retro, but like <laughs> then like people were laughing at and like hell no, we're yeah. they, they're always moving forward back then like yeah. when we're, when we're gaming.
1: Remember this? Also uh, met them at CES Chicago in '91. That's when we first got started together then Vegas, 92, summer, 92, Chicago, and then winter, CES, uh, January, 93, where I see this. It's time to win again with 8 bit I'm like, oh, God. And you could tell that they were, uh, whatever equity, the money that they had invested was starting to uh, to fade, because they had lots of these flyers, but they only had a few of the actual full press kits.
0: So so yeah. The the other aspect was really cool with this press kit is all the games that they have listing the coming soon. Like there are a lot on here that were never released.
1: Yeah, it actually had some of these uh, in prototype form. that just have little printed labels. <laughs> I sent it over from uh, from Code Come on
0: before. in. We're just chatting. We're just doing the roundtable since there's only a few people. Like in the flyer, it shows 3:30 for this panel. It's at 11, so. Yeah, so early. You come in, chill. We're we're actually talking about um, unreleased Nintendo games and prototypes. <laughs> Yeah, the Cowboys.
1: (laughs) I'm from Dallas. (laughs) So, so yeah, some of these games like Metal Man, I got to see that. That's like uh, it's a lot like Ultimate Stuntman, but maybe a little more polished. It's awesome. And then there's F16 Renegade, which was kind of like an upgraded Mig 29. It's really Uh, cool. Dizzy Pinball sounded cool because I really liked the
0: uh, like Aliens Crush and Doubles Crush. And then you got like Five Pack Dizzy. So like Dizzy the Adventure was a huge like. Commodore series, and it was was that done by the uh the Nolan brothers too? I believe so. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent, but like there's a lot of Dizzy games, and so if they're doing like a five pack Dizzy, like there were a lot of unreleased Dizzy games that never made to Nintendo. That's cool that they were like porting it.
1: Yeah, Dizzy was uh about probably bigger than Mario in Europe. Yeah, yeah, oh wow, uh, it was like a huge deal over there. And he uh, got kind of a gangster dizzy graphic here with like those. <laughs> well,
0: like he's, he's got like a, a dagger and a scimitar. It's like Arabian Nights dizzy. He's all, like like, basically. It's <laughs> all aggro there. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I'll have to take a picture of that, use that for the screenshot for the, uh, the podcast. <laughs> um, the Go Dizzy Go, like there's CJ's Elephant Antics, there's one game called Basketball. Yeah. <laughs> um but like but like um CJ's and a couple other ones that are on here ended up going on the 4 1 which was the arcade Quattro Arcade version. I think also on that was the BMX simulator which was one of the biggest selling games in Europe. And we got it on a four-pack unlicensed for the Nintendo. Like, it's ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't sure like, half bad. And then they have all the other press inserts. So, so yeah, right now we're looking at Aladdin and Comerica press inserts that are... This is the only copy in existence of this paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Thor Ackerlin who won the Nintendo World Championships, so... <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he was a special guest that they didn't announce, like... <laughs> 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 Classics.
1: There's some pretty interesting stuff in there. Basically, it just talks about their existing stuff and pricing. <laughs> so
0: like this is classic because it's like debut and it's like the uh, they're, they're basically going off of Comerica was going off of and they say it right there their success with the game genie back in the day with Gloob and then Comerica's <laughs> trying to sell their games. But then their games ended up getting like that Cole Comerica got sold. This is hilarious. Yeah. The leader in 8-bit Nintendo games that's apparently Comerica. But like their biggest game was Micro Machines.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually got sent to a home shopping network. To, uh, to promote that, which was the most awkward thing, because uh, I'm not a, a salesman, really. You know, I like to talk to people about things I like. Which that was actually the easiest game to try to sell because I actually really liked it. Yeah. They, they sent me back down there to sell some other stuff like Dizzy and, um, you know, some of the other
0: games. I'm like, yeah, it's a game. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a game. The irony was, is I think it was a YouTube video that I saw. They did something on where you were mentioned and they showed you doing the Comerica stuff. That's how, that's the, that's the one reason why it's in my mind that you did Comerica after yeah. like NWC. You know,
1: what's funny is, uh, I went down there for one of the shoots while they were doing the home shopping network deal and Vanna White was there and they had some other people to sell products. And I was like, ah, not, not this again. Cause I had to go down to Clearwater Florida like four or five times a year to do that. And, um, they had that little squeaky thing. Well, it
0: gets on sale. Like, work, work, uh, Oh, yeah, I remember that from the home shopping. That like the yeah, I was like. It It was like a little air horn thing—not air horn, but like a little honking, like clown horn.
1: And I swear, every every one of the hosts on there was on like copious amounts of cocaine. You know, it's Florida. Sounds good. They were like, "Hey!" (laughs) They had way too much energy, like beyond
0: the explanation of coffee. I mean, because that's the thing people think I'm insane because I have a lot of energy. It's like it's just coffee. Like I'm I'm good. I just have energy. These people didn't have eyelids there.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's hilarious. I did see like one of the other hosts had like brought their kid in who's probably like seven or eight years old and i was like all right let's play some games so i just like sat down and started playing games and i let them talk and i was like this is this is
0: better well and then <laughs> and then like that's the classic then you get to watch the winner of the nwc playing games with on their stream that would actually be a better marketing tool than having you go there and go these are video games and like you're not a, yeah. <laughs> you're not a salesman like it'd be more so they should add you playing tetris on there or a Tengen tetris or something like
1: yeah, I'm actually going to try to do a live stream uh, world record on
0: that. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Like, they have the cartridge, and they're like, they pulled, like, almost a Billy Mitch, and said, guard this with your life. That's what I heard, and I was like, that's hilarious. That's what Jim said as he was leaving.
1: you still compete? Uh, n- I'm that pretty much retired, yeah. 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 I've, well, got, I've got a four-year-old and a nine-year-old.
0: So, so also, because so we nine-year-old, how, how Yeah. they play? Uh,
1: a little bit. You know, he looks I do. gaming. He, he's into PC gaming. <laughs> Like, yeah. I've, I've given him uh, old consoles, I let him use my old uh, Game Boy. This nice. is my original Game Boy from back in the day. This is what I, all I had when I went to the Nintendo Championships.
0: Nice. And, uh, so his Tetris, Tetris mastery, mastery came from Game Boy. <laughs>
1: yeah, and there's an explanation for that uh, for people that know Tetris a little bit. Um, if you hold a button down, the piece immediately moves one spot over. Mm-hmm. Then there's something called delayed auto shift, or DAS, if you read anything about the deeper points in Tetris. And then it starts repeating. Oh. Um, but with Game Boy, it's frustratingly slow. The first tap is of course instant, but then you're waiting for the DAS. It takes forever for it to start going dunk, 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 dunk. But uh, if you tap it, you can get the piece Race to do it as over. fast as you want, as fast as yeah. you can tap. So I exclusively did that with the Game Boy and got to be so fast that it, that it helps me with NES Tetris because the same principle applies even though NES Tetris' is, DAS is twice as fast as Game Boy, you can still tap faster than that. Mm -hmm. You can actually break the limits of NES Tetris because it's basically designed to murder you at at level 29. If you hold the button before the piece appears with a blank screen on 29, the piece will hit the bottom of the screen before it hits the side of the the well. So it's impossible to play, but if you tap it like a crazy person, you can actually move it (laughs) substantially over to the sides and break. And what's funny is when you hit level 30,
0: it doesn't say thirty. It says like zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're not supposed to go to thirty. And the game's like, huh? <laughs> and you were the first person to get to yeah level thirty. I, and
1: I also oh, nice. t- was talking to Mahara
0: back in um, Robin Mahara. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. ninety n- number number three, who easily could have won um, the Nintendo World Championships. And I was telling him about the what happens when you max the game out, and um, because before that there was an unknown quantity whether. The score would hit all nines, uh, six nines, or whether it would roll back over and do a million. Tengen Tetris rolls over, and that was the older version of Tetris, but I was like, no, the Nintendo Tetris maxes out. And uh, we had a 2010 documentary, he, he dragged me out of Esstasy the grave. of
0: Order. I don't yeah. know if you've seen the Tetris documentary, Estacy of Order, Thor's in it, and at the end they drag you out of the grave.
1: Yes, they do. <laughs> and uh, I was telling everybody, hey, you know, you can beat 29, and it was a...
0: Because that's the big thing is like all, everybody who is, and I actually did the commentary for the classic Tetris World Championships two weeks ago in Portland. I did it with Chris Tang, another World Championship player. Um, I did color commentary for his, you know, I'm I'm his Bobby the Brain Heenan into his Gorilla Monsoon. That's what I said. (laughs) That's how I pitched it. But but basically like uh, when you go and play that, level 30 is a myth. That is a Tetris myth, and he's the first one to do it, and he did it on camera for that documentary. So that was a huge documentary. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I appreciate to talk about it, and everybody else is just like, never really seen it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, and so when he says, oh, no, I've done it, it's like, oh, yeah, sure you have, Thor, sure you have. Like, and like, he's like, no, no, really. I've done it I just saw Dragon the other day too Yeah and and that is one of the best gaming documentaries out there There's a lot of great ones out there Tetris is up in my top Just because of the story And then at the end you get to see him get dragged out of (laughs) Out of retirement And he hits a couple of world record firsts
1: Yeah uh, start on 19 Max out level 30
0: Mm -hmm. First one to do that First one to get to level 30 on... Yeah,
1: no, there had been a couple of 19 max outs previously. Yeah. But just not in, in that kind of combination. So, or,
0: yeah. Um,
1: what's his name?
0: Uh, Was it Harry Hong or um, Harry Jonas? Hogg, Harry
1: Hong didn't do the 19 max out. Jonas did the first 19 max Yeah. Out. And Jonas is probably
0: the best...
1: Tetris players better than I am. He's played constantly since the nineties.
0: Yeah, and what what blows my mind though is like this year, okay, so so he was talking about how you know the score gets up there and it doesn't roll over, right? Which was like kind of something that nobody experienced during the documentary. This year at the Classic World Tetris World Championships, Harry Hong maxed live twice during the competition. Like and not in the finals. He did it to, in the qualifications. And in the finals, he still got knocked out in the semifinals. Like, that's insane to me. That's somebody who can do a max-out competition. When you go head-to-head, it's a different game, too. And, like, have you, when was the last time you, did you participate in the Classic Tetris World Championships at all? Oh,
1: no. I, I went to the one in 2010.
0: Yeah. And um, I... Uh, because you were working on something else, that's just your final bucket list, right, you were saying yesterday?
1: Well, yeah, I want to do something, that w- maybe one last thing before I totally uh, hang it up, but <laughs> it may be a while. Like, in in, the, in 2010, when I was coming to that thing, they initially said, hey, you want to compete for the thing? I'm like, no, but I'll be the uh, the old representative of the NWC and hang out with Robin. That'd be great. And then, like, the week that I have to go drive to California, like, hey, you have to compete. I'm like, So I was like, I'm I'm gonna, I want to do good, but not too good. I I don't want to do too terribly. I don't want to embarrass myself because I kind of feel like uh, there's a bunch of really passionate people that really care about it deeply. And um, I had, didn't have the greatest experience back with my original competition era. So I was like, Yeah,
0: this is time for somebody else to shine. I'm "I'm out of this. But it was a great experience. Yeah, and I think you were talking about you want to work on doing the first ever back-to-back-to-back. To back
1: to back. Yeah, when I, uh, well, I'll just give you some backup on my, my play. So I got this in, in 89, my Game Boy Tetris. I played it for about six months, and I went through and won the Nintendo Championship. And after that, I didn't play it anymore. Right? So no more Tetris, no more, even no more 8-bit, really. And... Um, <laughs> I didn't play until around 2008. I started playing Blockles, which is like an online head to head Tetris game with a keyboard. I was like, this is fun. So that's when I got a hold of Robin, who I had just a couple conversations with, the number three NWC from 1990. And we got in there and we were real competitive. And I made like different screen names. And I got like uh, the two or three top. Records on Blockles. And then it was so funny because there was chat boxes and people were arguing over which of these people was, was better. <laughs> so is Thor better or is Thor better? <laughs>
0: like, that's
1: awesome. Yeah, I had like Rose Flash, Arcane, and uh, there's another one.
0: So people were like, Rose Flash is better, no, Arcane's better. Yeah, like, and I finally had
1: to. uh to hook up two keyboards, one to a laptop, one to a desktop, and play myself, because some oh, people yeah. were getting suspicious, like, hey, this is the same person. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm not really the same person. Play <laughs> with <laughs> two hands, that's awesome. Yeah, and then the guy, the, my, my alter ego that lost, was like, people were constantly talking trash to him, you, you suck.
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was it. You're like, damn it, left hand, right hand's better. <laughs> exactly, yeah, I'm way better at
1: uh, keyboard with my right hand, anyway. Uh, So Robin, like, I guess, got in touch with some other people and decided to start looking for who was the best classic Tetris champion and decided to make the movie Ecstasy of Order with Adam Cornelius, who's a fantastic director. And um, I didn't really practice for for that. But after I got home, I was like, I wonder if I can still do this. So I spent about three weeks in my motel room playing Tetris until I could get that... 30 again. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I could do the, that's uh, do. That takes a long time, right? Yeah, the, the max out wasn't such a big deal. I could, I could do that, um... After a couple of weeks, I was doing that pretty regularly. I could do back-to-back, and I wanted to do back-to-back-to-back, like,
0: three max outs in a row from 19. Which hasn't been done yet. No. So, um, I mean, those are just cool little bucket list things as a Tetris player, that's like... Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'd like to do, uh... The back-to-back-to-back, and maybe, uh... 31,
0: which I might might be might even be an edge of possibility. <laughs> oh, so a, a thirty one I mean basically to get like to set up for thirty, you basically have to build your, your side walls up because you can't possibly get to it. Now at thirty one, who's to say you can't even get to the, the next pixel in? Uh, yeah, it, it'd be a single arrow would be Yeah, do
1: you deadly. go past thirty? No, no. Is,
0: not there, really. is there
1: anything you think?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. there, there oh, is. You,
1: you can you can go past it, but... Uh, the the question
0: is, is, is there ever going to be a Tetris kill screen? Like, is there a spot where the programming... Because we don't, don't know. Up. Does it ever say you're finally game over?
1: <laughs> well, there are some people I've seen <laughs> videos on YouTube where they use um, tools. Like oh, fun. tool-assisted run. Oh, sure,
0: that, that makes fun. sense, yeah. actually. And, and, yeah. and uh,
1: they, they go through all the different hex characters for levels. So it just goes forever. Yeah, though. the speed doesn't increase after 30, that, or 29, really. Oh, when okay. When you hit this 29 speed, that's a, It's capped. Yeah, because it, it shouldn't be possible to play through those levels.
0: So so at that point, once you get to 30, it's all based on luck of the drop. So you, if you got the perfect piece drops you could possibly get to 31. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
1: Jesus. Big setup. And then making sure everything holds up.
0: A, bi- a big setup that correlates with the perfect piece drops once you get to 30. Holy crap. If I
1: was a machine, I could probably do it. But it's, it might be something You might abilities. be part machine, Thor. Like, possibly. Well, <laughs> I invite anybody that, that thinks so to watch my video carefully and count the mistakes that I make in that game. Just hit the pause every time yeah. you see a mistake. So I make, I make some mistakes in, in that, that game that's famous that were brutal mistakes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Well, when you're tapping like crazy, you're using the quick muscle um, response, quick muscle fibers, you got different kinds of muscle fibers, and those use a lot of potassium, and it becomes depleted. So if you're trying to tap, you have to make sure all the counts are right, like three, five, six, two, mm-hmm. one. And if you over-tap or under-tap, it's worse than not tapping at all. You may as well just hold down and wait for the ass. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an investment in something that can give you an edge, but it's also a double-edged sword because when you screw up, it really hurts you bad.
0: And your dexterity as you're playing well, all throughout the day becomes depleted because you're getting yeah. tired. Like, you were playing yesterday and you haven't played in a while and you were already like, man, I'm getting a yeah. little bit of... <laughs> I had,
1: like, kind of a bell curve of, of games. Like, I started out just terribly. I haven't played since 2010 and... Um, <laughs> just horrendously bad scores and then i got to like the mid 500 thousands or whatever and then i was like (laughs) my
0: my (laughs) body was like nope (laughs) that's craziness though but like that's it's interesting to see though and then like as you're continually making progress like it's just it's cool that you're keeping coming back to it every once in a while because it's like riding a bike almost which is, Mm -hmm. is pretty cool but um the one thing that was interesting doing the the tournament this year there's one guy that's adopted the double tap and it's the the guy who won the Grandmaster Tournaments, Corian, mm-hmm. and he got, um, I think it was either third or fourth place. He got to the semifinals and got knocked out by Jonas because he was really nervous. Like, I, I shook everybody's hand as they were going to the, the semifinals, and Corian was like this. And I was like, oh, maybe that's for his double tap. That's what I was thinking. Like, and I, I didn't say it on the stream because I was going to because I did all the live streaming, right? So, and, and the thing was is I would have loved to see the, um, the commentary because as doing the color commentary, I'd love to see the people commenting because I couldn't see the comments. Yeah, yeah. All we could see is the screen with them playing, and we couldn't comment on them playing but the screen because of the lag. So we are watching the screen, and basically, though, like, Corian does the double tapping. But, like, he had no fatigue. But he was just so nervous going against Jonas because Jonas has won now six times. Like and Harry Hong won once. So it's like he he was so nervous going against the the champion. And then later on when we're at the the after parties, we're all drinking beers, Korean sit there maxing multiple times. Like we're like, where the hell was that? (laughs) Like so I mean, I think like a lot of people agree that he has a a big if he's gonna come back again next year, he'll have a big run. But it'll be it'll be he's a young guy too.
1: Yeah, yeah, he definitely has a lot of uh, potential. I don't think anybody should underrate Jonas, though. Like, oh, I, I, I agree. One of the things that I don't, I don't know, if concerns the right word or, or uh, just wanting the, people to be more educated about things or whatever. But mm-hmm. you'd see people uh, reacting to my video in a very positive way, which I, I feel you know grateful to people that that, that like that. But um, I'm somebody that maybe has played two full years of Tetris completely Okay. as far as even a part-time passion if you just count like substantial game time maybe nine months total in my life now Jonas has been playing pretty much steadily since the 90s yeah he's got 25 years of experience and you can tell when he's playing he does a deeper game like I'm I'm oh
0: oh, he definitely does because like while he was playing okay so Jonas is a laid back strategic player when he's playing at that high level he's sitting there taking his time and when he went for Skorion he played aggressively he changed it like that the whole the whole games before that he was playing strategically and all of a sudden he's playing aggressively and I'm like Wait a second, Jonas is playing differently, and I'm I'm calling it as it's going on. Like the live stream's still available, like it's it's there, and I'm like Jonas is playing very aggressively for the, like how he he's playing, and like like be, so that's two different styles of mastery. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like he's playing willy nilly. Like they're getting up, like they were both in part of max out each time, yes. like during the. Finals, I and mean, we're like, like, so that's two good players in one, like, it's insane, and there's probably another deeper layer that we haven't even seen yet with Jonas.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the amount of moves and strategic planning, like, I'm a very intuitive player as far as how I play, I just play raw, uh, just, I don't even think about it, one of my great uh, examples is you can find, maybe through Robin Mahara, the, in 1990, on the day of the finals in, in Hollywood, I had to play three games of the NWC Championship card. Which, of course, all culminate in Tetris for the final leg of that, that card. So it's a battle
0: to get to Tetris. Yes. Now, <laughs>
1: on these three games, um, and there were some funny rumors that I had to, to put down um, related to this, which I'll explain here. <clears throat> the NBC Championship card with Mario, you have to get 50 coins in Mario, do a Laparad racer, and then play Tetris until it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, all the points come from Tetris, but you've got to get through the first two games to get to Tetris. Now, depending on what the time is left in Mario, it gives you a different set of pieces in Tetris.
0: Yes, which is predictable. Yes,
1: yes. and it's funny because I didn't realize it at the time, I'm not really sure anybody did, but there are rumors Definitely after not. the fact that people did. And I was like, you know, it's funny because I did realize it, and I'll tell you when I realized it. I realized it in the third game midway through of the final <laughs> And the reason is, I got this, the same pieces all three games. Oh. But if you watch my games, I play all three games utterly different.
0: <laughs> and not
1: very well. If I had known, I could have prepared and maybe done, like, three games of four million points or
0: something. Yeah. Um,
1: but, yeah, I did three bad games of uh, the same exact pieces three completely different ways. So,
0: <laughs> that was
1: With the championship title on the line. So, no, I did not realize it.
0: That, uh, that there was but there was like a little light bulb like, <laughs> yeah. there's something here. Yeah,
1: because uh, when going you on. see like the yeah. first seven pieces or whatever come out the exact same way. You know, yeah. Like, right. But yeah, I play it a few different ways. Because I, I don't have the ability to uh, to consciously think about it when I'm playing. It's very hard for me to be like, oh, I need to put that here. I just like, oh. I mean, <laughs> I'm putting
0: it there. I don't know why I'm just doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an a autonomic response or whatever. Very cool. So, so it that's... That brings it to an art, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the interesting aspect now is nowadays we get our new school arcades, which we come to these conventions. This is the old arcade aspect that we used to have in the 80s and the 90s. Like, they're everybody playing games. Like, this one happens to be on a different level, so there's a big disconnect with, like, the, the free play stuff. Yeah. But, like, at other conventions, it's all together. And I think next year here they're going to do the all together upstairs. But, um, but like, it's a, it, this is the arcade aspect. And now there's guys that are running these tournaments of the classic tetris world championships they're doing essentially a, an nwc because it was just a battle to get the tetris so they're just doing straight tetris with rules there's a kong off where there's the donkey kong world champions those guys are hitting like world record like kill screens at the freaking donkey kong world championships i did some commentary for that a little bit with billy mitchell this year and it was every play fx in, in pittsburgh and it was ridiculous like we're sitting there like oh my god like all the, the level, the bar, keeps on going up and up. And I, I completely understand wanting to say, no, nope, you guys have your own time, because it gets stressful. Like, imagine, like, trying to learn that or relearn that when you don't play all the time. Right, right. Like, yeah. oh, my God. And it's, it's really, it's like, to me, that's inspiring. That's why myself as an author, like, I wanted to do the history of competitive gaming. And it's such a cool aspect. But little did I know that Walter Day already kind of wrote one. So I'm going to use his for the classic stuff. And I'm going to do an addendum. For the eight-bit, sixteen-bit world record holders and the speedrunners, and the the newer stuff that you're seeing with Smash Con and all that craziness, I, I'm going to do an addendum to that because I think that would be a cool aspect to hit both sides. That way, you get to represent Walter and his stuff, then we get to represent like the us with the uh, the retro console gamers, and then you get to see the new stuff with all the the craziness. But it's like we're in an interesting era because these conventions are getting insane. We we got about time here. It's awesome! Well, wow. right, right, we're just we're just recording. Um, so yeah, so yeah. So it's, it's a really cool aspect to the whole uh, where conventions have went because this is like our arcade now, and I think it's really cool that we have so many that have been popping up. But um, I think the big ones like like here, like the Retro Game Con, like that was what, its third year. Fourth. fourth year. Fourth, this, yeah. So this is, this is fourth year at Retro Game Con, and it's like these guys are going to stick around, but all these pop-ups, because there's a third championships that popped up this year, which was the Retro World Series, and not enough word got out, and they didn't really have a strategic focus. I went there. I was doing announcing for a super dodgeball tournament and some other stuff, but it was like they basically, there's like a very competitive scene in Houston with uh, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. And like those guys didn't even show up to this tournament. So I'm like, there is a huge disconnect there. Like He's trying to do a Retro World Series, but he didn't incorporate the Tetris dudes. I gave him Vince's yeah. number. They didn't incorporate Richie Knuckles and the uh, the Donkey Kong World Championships. I'm like, if you're doing a Retro World Series, you need to incorporate everybody. Yeah. Have a qualifier for Tetris.
1: Especially things that would get you free marketing. I mean,
0: that's like free advertisement. As
1: <laughs> well, exactly. people will
0: spread that themselves that they're excited about those games. And, and I mean, is there the Retro World Series here at Retro Game Con? Nope. It's there. Do they have like like stuff like that? Like for the bigger conventions, they need to have and those. It's on those guys running those tournaments to contact the conventions to make that stuff happen because people would have fun competing versus Thor with a qualifier for the Tetris Classic, Tetris World Championships yeah. in Portland next year on the line. Like, but they didn't coordinate that. So there's there's avenues where this is going to even get bigger. Where I'm seeing the convention scene, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, I, I enjoy going to all these conventions more so for the, the stories and the talks. And that's, as an author, that motivates me and inspires me. Yeah. And, like, so, like, with my Super Nintendo book, you know, that's your classic collector's guide. Well, there's a compendium that's even more popular with all the backers because they get to write their stories. Like, I got Thor's story in my 90 book. That's what gave me the idea is, like, I got some interviews in the 90 book. And I'm like, well, would people want to write in my books and for backers? And people that are supporting they're like, yes. And so I had contributors <laughs> writing in there. And then like with the I made it a stretch goal for Super Nintendo, it hit it within like a day or two. Oh, I had the yeah. stretch goal for the whole second book, which is now 250 pages, which is the same size as my Nintendo book. That's gonna be the Super Nintendo stories. So now I just get to think outside the box. I don't know if you played much Super Nintendo. That was during your Exodus or
1: Oh. <clears throat> I guess I played until around ninety three and then I was done. But so, yeah, the first First half yeah. of uh, of Inia, or so, Super NES. So what were your favorite Super Nintendo games? Um see Contra, Castlevania, <laughs> basically oh, most I mean, of the Konami mm-hmm. stuff. Axelay was great. Oh yeah, Axelay. It was short was but awesome, awesome. It was six stages. I didn't like some of the slowdown that I saw.
0: I liked some of the shooters on Genesis more. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, the the Genesis shooters are, are ridiculous. Like in the ninety book, like you'll see it because you finally got your copy. But like, there's so many shoot 'em ups that I did two page spread. It's filled with oh, games, yeah. and I'm like, and and I didn't realize as a a writer that the difference between I think I did like 150 ish pages in there and 200 pages is zero dollars. So I could have split those all up into individual articles so the 91 books a little bit bigger and yeah. i'm just going to i do it to pay it forward too but it's like i'll put more content in there why cuz it's more stories but those super those genesis shooter's like gaiaras oh, was yeah. the classic one we should <laughs> yeah
1: you actually have yeah. great music, too, which you don't really necessarily
0: associate with Genesis, with music. Oh, actually, a lot of people swear by the Genesis with music because of the heavy, meaty beats that there are in it. I mean, there are obviously exceptions to them, but I think overall, especially when you have a game on both systems, usually the Super Nintendo. Yeah, the, the comparison yeah. between, like, a Super Nintendo, because the Super Nintendo had your orchestraic, like... Epic soundtracks, and then Genesis was more like your your beats in a club, yeah, like Streets, like, yeah. Streets, yeah. Street's, Street's of you know? Rage. Two rage. crew dudes, Two crew dudes is so good. Toe oh, Jam and Earl. Thunder Force yeah, because Super Nintendo zone. never got that hard base. Exactly. Like yeah. was like the first so one I so so though. basically, how I yeah, see it from cool. like writing about every Super Nintendo ge- book and or every every Super Nintendo game in my book, and now I'm moving to Genesis next year for a complete Genesis book, is that like it's like the guys that were programming it if they started. It off, come on in. If they started off on the Super Nintendo, the Genesis sounds inferior. But I think if they program the game with like the Genesis in mind, yeah. it's yeah, going to be killer. killer. There's one well, huge thing huge.
1: And and the yeah.
0: exactly. So there's like, there's, I think, in a generality, you're 100% right with Super Nintendo beating it, but like, there are a lot of cases.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's something to, to bear in mind that's really important, I think. A lot of people missed because Genesis was a slow burn until Sonic in Ninety One, then it sort of blew up. Mm-hmm. I had the Genesis from the beginning, uh, and the earlier models, the big fatties, mm-hmm. of the definition yeah. graphics, mm-hmm. had far superior sound chips and video uh, filters. Mm. so it was much sharper. The sound was much deeper. Headphone jack—that's not something you saw. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the <laughs> so Mark II Genesis, almost all of them had terrible sound chips. Yeah, and yeah. then the, the whatever that Brazilian company that made the Mark III, it wasn't really made by Sega it was, it was almost, Mono only yeah it was like a little emulator yeah. machine like it was so bad if you if you guys like Genesis games get a Mark 1 with HD yeah or get an XI both of those
0: have mm-hmm. outstanding That's why sound. like people always ask me like why do you have the the top, the, 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 the the model 1 with the yeah. Sega CD on it? I'm like cuz the sound is like way better even the Sega CD sound sounds better on oh, that yeah. Yeah. like it's ridiculous and like it does native RGB out too yeah, it's amazing. On, on that on the HD one. That's why you want the HD one. The the picture looks better and if you're using a professional video monitor which those have exploded in freaking price now I got oh, mine PBMs. yeah PVM yeah, yeah, yeah. like they've exploded in price they used to be like 50 bucks you'd find them like wholesale at like on Craigslist ads now everybody is hoarding them yeah, but like I use mine and it's like the RGB on that is even better than on a normal TV and it's ridiculous that's why like the my life in gaming guys that they did an article for my Super Nintendo book like that is integral because it's like it shows like based on every model and it's like based on every Aspect that how to get the best picture. of your Super is The same thing with Genesis. I like. I want to have them do one for Genesis now because it's so cool to know. Because it's something that most people like going around here on the floor. They're not going to understand. Oh, let me just get that cheap model too because it's oh, it's twenty dollars cheaper than. <laughs> I wish
1: I had uh, this stuff still. Before I had sixteen uh, bit consoles, our, our family had Atari computers, like Atari 400, 800. That's what I grew up playing, and then ST Atari ST. Yeah. And yeah. my brother got an Amiga. Well, there's a. Uh, an old Atari 13-inch RGB monitor called the SC 1224. Maybe it's a 12-inch monitor. Yeah, it's a 12-inch, but it's really, really freaking good monitor. And there was this cable company you could do mail order cables called Redmond Cable from Washington State. And I ordered a uh, RGB Genesis to um, Atari SC 1224 cable, and the Genesis <laughs> looked spectacular. And then I got the SCART nice to yeah, yeah. SC 1224. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the best looking. CRTs I've ever seen it's ridiculously good looking really so if you if you ever see like an old Atari monitor It says sc1224. There's Mm -hmm. some different revisions of it. They're all good grab it You
0: can get the schematics online make your own cable now. Have you ever used the Commodore monitors? Yeah, they're pretty good. It's in comparison. So the, the Atari one's way better. Uh, yes,
1: most of the SE-1224s are superior. Interesting,
0: yeah, because I know the, the, the other alternative, obviously, certain PVMs are yeah, yeah. insane, exactly. but yeah. those were used in like TV studios and at hospitals and things. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And the 1224 is a very small monitor. It works great with RGB stuff. Uh, you got to remember, though, that the twelve twenty four. That was like a nine hundred dollar monitor
0: back in the day. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everything.
1: Computers used to be so expensive. Oh,
0: exactly. Yeah. That. I mean, that was the Commodore aspect. Is they would charge you like a hundred bucks for the Commodore, but then every piece cost. Everything else. Like, that so would be it well, ended up being a normal computer like you had your price. Computer.
1: At the end. You think about you had your cell phone. You know, so <laughs> your <laughs> cell
0: phone on your <laughs> shoulder trying to carry it. I guess the last like, caveat to this is: look on the
1: back of the Commodore monitor before uh-huh. you pick it up, or the Atari monitor. If you see the Atari monitor doesn't have any RF. That's the really good SC 1224 series. It's all RGB. It's great. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Commodore monitors
0: you'd see with Commodore 64s were RF monitors or just composite. Yeah. Just not nearly yeah. As good. No. No. Yeah. Composite isn't nearly as good. So, 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 so how, what would, what does it look like on the back of the Commodore monitor that's better? Because mine has like the three plugs that are like split like this. Yeah. That's like, a, like I'm doing like a little for the people listening online. It's like the. Uh, was it, in the DeLorean on Back to the Future? like that, yeah. <laughs> like It looks like that on the Yeah, back. I believe that's the RGB one.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the composite would be the one that just has
0: the video and audio, just like a yeah. red, red and white. Oh, I think it's called Chroma, is it called on it? Maybe maybe that might be the one that I have then. Interesting, because mine might only have two then. I'll, I'll go look. I'll take a picture of it and see, because that's interesting now that I'm thinking about it. It, it was weird, though, because like I was playing um, Genesis games on my Commodore monitor. I played the bass so loud that I like, I thought I blew out the speakers. <laughs> and then um, I was like, oh shit, my monitor's broken and these things have exploded in price. And I'm like, fuck. And then like later on, I moved houses and I plugged in. It works fine again. So I don't know if like, I didn't blow it out, or there was made some loose solder. But it was like interesting. I was like, shit, my freaking Commodore monitor's gone. <laughs> and what's great about Commodore and all these systems nowadays is people are releasing these SD card readers. So I have this little SD card Commodore reader that looks like a little Commodore hard drive that you just plug into the keyboard, and it emulates that disk drive. And the loading, unfortunately. but <laughs>
1: You should have a little speaker that plays the 1541's, like, I don't know the, the like, noise. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like eh, <laughs> rah, 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 rah. <laughs> for like ten freaking minutes. Do you remember the Epic's fast load cartridge? Yeah, well, no, no, I have that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean the, the the classic is is why did Epic's go out of business? Why did you not know about them right now? Because of that fast loader cartridge. Because they completely emulated the Commodore sixty four operating system on that cartridge, and it ran better than the Commodore sixty four operating <laughs> system. Like so, they got sued because they did um summer games, winter games. Like I have a world records on every summer games game like and it's like it's one of those things where it's like hilarious because like they're gone now because of that. Um I guess there's better ones now with like some action replay ones or something but I just have the classic fast loader cart and you can use that with those SD card readers so then you have access to all of the games for the Commodore. And I'll never do a Commodore book unless it's like a best of book because like that one, you see how big my Super Nintendo one is? 500 pages where you can barely lift it. There there are more than 4,000 A games on the Commodore. There's 1,000 games in my Super Nintendo book. Just A. And that scene, like you're talking about like the Nintendo homebrew scene nowadays? Mm -hmm. Like, Like that's insane where there's 300 games. The Commodore one, they were doing homebrew while it was out and it never stopped. So there's games every year for the Commodore. Yeah, it's, so, it's so awesome.
1: I got a funny story. In oh, 87, yes. uh, I went to the Info Mart in Dallas. I, uh, I was 10 years old, and I got to go to, it was like a little computer gathering, mm-hmm. and they had the Atari guys and the Commodore guys and the PC guys and the Apple guys, you know, and <clears throat> it was about the size of this convention upstairs. Yeah. And okay. you could buy things, and, and there was little sub-meetings where people traded shareware and and all that good stuff. <clears throat> well, there there happened to be uh, people set up with 16 Atari STs and MIDI oh. mains, which is where they use the MIDI in and outputs on all of the uh, systems to create the network. Yeah. And they were playing Faceball, which oh. was the first multiplayer...
0: First-person first person shooter, shooter I've yeah. ever seen in
1: 1987. <laughs> and uh, that, of course, later would blow up into worldwide popularity, but oh, yeah. uh, I got to see the first
0: time that that was set up, it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's, like, it's interesting with, with all those systems and how everything was set up back in the day. But yeah, it's, like... it's
1: made for music, No, it's made for multiplayer. So,
0: so this is one thing that's always baffled me with the Commodore 64 era. How did I only really have two real games but we had like a ton of bootleg games when the internet didn't exist? Like, literally, like, that scene was so crazy. It's like the, like how how we learned about, like, Nintendo things, like how we learned where all the secrets were in Nintendo games was on the schoolyard. So in high school, my brother was in high school during the Commodore era, and, like, they basically had this crazy computer club trading thing that went across the country, apparently, where everybody was sharing sh- all these different games. And that's kind of what tanked the Commodore, too, is because, you know, there's so many bootleg copies of games yeah, going around. They're going to find a way. But, like, I just, it. bad. Baffles me how big that was in the late 80s. It's insane. What's going on? You got something on your mind? Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering uh, what you need for uh, if you have a laptop. Oh, our panel's going right now. We're recording live for the podcast, so say hi to everybody. Um, we're, we're done here in 10 minutes, so we're just okay. we're, we're finishing up our recording. We're here from 11 to 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just doing a small one because we were supposed to be at 3.30, and they changed it. It's on the door. We're at 11. Okay. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, it's no problem. Yeah, we're good. Thanks. <laughs> so these panels, like, I, we put it up live, all of it. We don't really edit yeah. the content. It's funny like that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so, so basically, though, like, it's interesting how crazy that bootleg scene was, though, on the Commodore, because, like, like, we had literally hundreds of games. And my brother had this spiral notebook, and he had every disc labeled with A, B, C, and he had written in there, what games. <laughs> What what games we're we taking pictures over here on the podcast? <laughs> like, but uh, <laughs> but like, it was interesting what games like we had, and he would put multiple games on there. So if there's like poo on, and the little I remember programming menus. Yeah, so it was uh, it was load. C- control uh, 2 which would get you the, your carrot and it was star. It was a dollar sign control 2 comma 8 and you, you press enter load you press list and it lists out all the games and then you would have to type that in there because star would load the default game on the Commodore whereas when you saw the list you would say alright oh, it says Pac-Man or it says this and some, some jerks that would program like modifiers like maybe a tool assisted thing where there would be like six things they would post like this giant freaking thing in the list so you have to type in every little special character that they use and if they're real jerks they would use the really special characters they had to hit like the because if you look at the Commodore keyboard there's the letters and then on the front of the keys there's like these little symbols so these those symbols in there like it was near impossible to figure that crap out for, for aliens because <laughs> well, like you would have to have back in the day there's no internet so you would have to have the actual manuals and look through how to freaking access those keys yeah. <laughs> like, somebody would make a handbook about it or something I mean, yeah. and, and that was written all in C so that's actually where I got my first uh, inkling of on programming and things, because I know how to program as well. Even though I just, I just write, I do that aspect. Uh, but um, it's super interesting. But like, do you have any clue? Like, how was the boot? Like, where was the bootlegging scene in your area? Though
1: um, I missed out because we didn't have a Commodore uh, sixty-four, but I did see it through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Atari, and nobody had Atari. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there was always the neighborhood kids that would have everything. Like I had hand-me-down yeah. Nintendo um, later on. I didn't get my Super Nintendo, and that's a story that's going in the compendium, but I didn't get my Super Nintendo till Mario, uh, All-Stars Mario um, World was a combo cart. Oh. Like, so that was way later. And I saved up for it because I we didn't have cash. Like, it was all hand-me-downs and rentals in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was super interesting because... Um, <laughs> Like so, I, I get that later, and there's always the kids in your neighborhood that have the TurboGrafx-16, one, yeah. and the, so yeah, I go over to their house, but they're the troublemaker kids in my neighborhood. My mom doesn't want me going there, so I'm a shithead and say, "No, you're gonna go ahead and spank, beat my ass." I want to play Bonk's Adventure. Like, <laughs> like I literally was <laughs> a, a, a a jerk kid because my parents wouldn't let me play games, I'm like, no, 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 it's it's gotta, I, I gotta play some TurboGrafx-16. We wrapping up, right. cool. All right, All right, so um, thanks to everybody for coming, giant. Room full of people, four of us hanging out. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> um, just so everybody knows, uh, the podcast is called VGBS, uh, Video Game Bullshit. Uh, this will be up. Pl- this will be a live episode. Um, we upload a episode every week, but like we have probably t- ten to. 15 episodes that will be going up and we do them in order. Um, I've done a lot of panels out here. Uh, Thor, thanks a lot for coming on and, and chatting. And we try to steer you clear of the NWC and you know it goes right back to Tetris, brother. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I just wanted to get some of your Comerica stories, too. It's super cool. But yeah, it was, it was really fun and everybody check out my books. I have them on display. NES Collector's Guide, Super Nintendo Collector's Guide, A Culture Chronicles of each year, of course. <laughs> and in the future, we're doing NES Oddities, obscure Securities and rarities which will cover also Japanese games that you can play without understanding Japanese like the Famicom games There's about 400 that are, that are released. I want to collect those like so I'm doing it for me uh, a really good gradient over there that you can't get Exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and like actually I didn't really know the aspects of that But it's super fun and exciting to, to know about that and then all the homebrews So these guys doing mystic searches here on the floor like that's it's there's homebrews there yeah. so that's super cool to me that you know you'll be able to uh, have a book that'll be this style that we just do but uh, all right guys thanks thanks a lot and uh enjoy the rest of the con